This podcast is brought to you by Google Search. Google Search helps millions of people across the UK every day, whether they are finding ideas and inspiration, discovering brands, or looking for the best deal. Search is where your customers find what matters to them, so it's where you can find what matters to your business. To find out more, search for Think with Google UK. That's thinkwithgoogle.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Marketing That Matters, a four-part series in which we delve deep into some of the most celebrated and effective campaigns of recent years, as told by the key people behind the activity. Our subject today is This Girl Can, the mould-breaking 2015 campaign from Sports England. The campaign, which celebrated the reality of exercise for most women, all cellulite, sweat and jiggling flesh, was an instant success, both in terms of getting women more active and reducing the fear of judgment that had stopped many women exercising. Few can boast its return. According to the IPA, the estimated return on marketing investment was £35 for every pound invested. To tell the story of this girl can, I have Tanya Joseph, who back in 2015 was Sport England's Director of Business Partnerships. Hello, Tanya. Good morning. Let me take you back. Describe to me the context that this campaign was born from. So I joined Sport England in 2012. So, you know, we're about to have the Olympics in London and everyone's terribly excited. Um, I'd never worked in sport before and the whole point of Sport England is to get more people active. It's not about promoting the elite end of the game, it's about getting grassroots activity going. Um, and it struck me really early on that Sport England was doing a whole string of, of interventions but wasn't really shifting the dial that much, even though we had the Olympics and even though your doctors tell you to, to get more active and every time you open a magazine it tells you to get more active, we weren't really shifting the dial. And particularly amongst women, women just weren't really doing very much. They, Even though we could get more men getting active, we really were struggling to get women active. And it was I was really interested in why that was, why was there dis, this disparity, if you like. And one of the most interesting things that I noticed is that um, in any particular week, you could get as, as the gap between the number of men being active and women was two million, which is a huge number. And, you know, Sport England spending public money and we I really needed to understand why there was this kind of gender gap in sport. So, to understand, talk to me about the process that led to the insight that led to the campaign. What was really interesting about it is that Sport England, because it was spending money, had been doing an awful lot of uh, measurement evaluation, but had tended to do it, like loads of organisations, I'm not singling them out, tended to do it at the end of every project. And then, even though it was really insightful, it was kind of a bit too late. And all of this wonderful insight was locked away in a desk and no one really looked at it. Um, so we dug it all out and we looked at what was really going on there. And, you know, the other bit that I found absolutely fascinating was that of these two million women who weren't being active, 70% of them were telling us they were interested in doing some or more sport, which to me was an apps, you know, I regarded as a market. I just spent a year in Tesco where, you know, anyone who's worked in FMCG knows if if you found that 7% of people wanted to buy, you'd regard that as a market and you'd go after them. This was 70%. So how do we get to those 70% of women who, who, who say they're open to purchase, if you like, in pure marketing speak, um, to think about 
to inspire them to get their trainers on, really. Um, so we spent a lot of time really trying to understand what were the things that were stopping these women and girls adopting the behaviours we wanted them to adopt? What were, what were the barriers to change? And it turned out that women had been telling us for years what they felt about sport and we just hadn't been listening to them. And it's not just Sport England. None of the, those involved in sports and activity had been listening to women. Everyone had taken a very much the pr- approach that, well, we, we just have to, they just have to find their right sport or we just have to build them a swimming pool that, that, that's a bit closer to where they live or we, we just have to, in many cases paint the poster pink and people will come and that is not what's going on you know I'm a really good example there was a swimming pool between the tube station that I got on at and my home which I walked past every day it wasn't a lack of a swimming pool that was stopping me swimming there were a load of other barriers that were stopping me swimming convenient locality was not one of them so it was really about listening to women, understanding all the things they were telling us and trying to find a common thread in all of that. And that was the thing that took the most time, I suppose, is really understanding what on earth is going on with these women. And what was the light bulb moment or was there when you found what was going on? Well, I'd like to say it was me, but it wasn't because I had an amazing group of people working with me, both in-house and, and in agency. And women were telling us loads of things. So they were saying things, some of which you'd absolutely understand. So um, I don't like my body. I'm, I feel fat. I feel thin. I uh, don't know the rules. I don't like the clothes. I, I don't want to do this because it's too feminine. I mean, I'm too feminine, and women, girls like me don't do it. Or it's a bit butch. Or um, I've got kids. I don't have the time. These are all things that we're well used to hearing. And then someone very clever in the team, sort of after three weeks of looking at all of this, said, "Well, hold on a minute. I know what all of this is. The thing that unifies all of this is um, a fear of judgment. It's just women either." worrying about how others would judge them or, in many cases, judging themselves about how they look and feel about sport and physical activity. And at that moment, it was the light bulb moment because then it was all completely obvious. Oh, of course, that's what it is. Um, And really getting our heads around that was what informed the rest of the campaign. And in a way, after that, everything fell into place relatively easily. I mean, I say that obviously it was a big campaign. It took a lot of time. But really getting to that nugget of insight was the, the, the key moment for me in the development of the campaign. So you've established the market, the opportunity. You've uh, discovered the insight. You said at the beginning, though, that Sport England had essentially evaluated what you were about to embark upon was a campaign to provoke behaviour change and attitudinal change as much as anything. You also mentioned there that it's a government-funded body in the context of 2012, money was quite tight in government. Yeah, you need to remember that in, um, when the new government came in in 2010, they basically froze spending on marketing. So apart from a couple of public health campaigns, which you kind of have to do, you have to do your flu, you have to do your smoking cessation, your drink driving, all marketing was stopped. And... Uh, actually just generally PR was considered a bad thing. So here was, 
you know, here were we saying, well, we want to do this this big advertising campaign. Can you let us spend the money? And that was really interesting because we had the money. We had, we were lottery funded. So I had I could get the budget. What I needed was government permission to spend the money on um, an above the line campaign. And that was tricky. I mean, it's not a usual challenge that marketers face, trying to extract money from the government that was embarking a, upon a long period of austerity. So... How did you uh, how did you overcome that particular and acute challenge? Um, I th- initially, just by boring everyone because I talk about it constantly. But then we got lucky in the sense that we had a Secretary of State appointed and a Sport Minister, both of whom were women, but both of whom importantly understood uh, the value of marketing communications, and they got it. They really understood what we were trying to do. They understood the potential impact, and they absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think the stars aligned at that moment. Um, Unfortunately, it was only a brief moment because they both uh, because one the Secretary of State um, was moved on pretty rapidly. Um, fortunately, the next Secretary of State um, was in no mood to to check, to undo anything that his predecessor had done. So we got it signed off. But there was a, a very tense moment there where we thought, "Oh no, we're going to have to start at the very beginning." But it really was doggedly talking to the department about how. It was a relatively small amount of money in government spending terms. It was £10 million. Um, But what the government wanted to avoid is, um, you know, criticism from the media that they were spending money on, um, on a, you know, a lame marketing exercise when... As always, you know, we could give the money to nurses or doctors or teachers. You know, it's, that's always the argument that's put. So we were able to demonstrate that if we could get women and girls to to change their attitudes, to adopt d- different behaviours, it would have a good uh, public policy outcome. Because the, the, the reasons that you want women being active are well known, apart from the, their individual um, physical and mental well-being, there are loads of public policy good reasons. So, if you have an active woman in the household, the household is going to be more active and more healthy. The children are going to do better in school. Uh, the household is going to be more productive. Those are all good reasons why um, uh, the Department for Culture and Media and Sport, as it then was, and Treasury might be interested in funding a campaign like that. Was there a single objective, a number put on? No, deliberately didn't do that because this was behaviour change. So I spent a lot of time managing expectations. You know, the objective, I kept saying that the objectives for the campaign were to raise awareness, to change attitudes, and then finally to get women to take action. But I kept saying that's going to take a number of years. You know, I'd come out of government where we had been doing behaviour change. We didn't really call it that, but that's what we were doing for lots and lots of things. So, you, But you think how long it took it's taken for people to stop smoking, for people to think about drink driving, for people to eat five a day, which they still don't. So I'd said, you know, let's not expect anyone to be um, taking any action for years. Let's not put a number on it because then we're just doomed to failure if we say, you know, I want by by the end of three years for this many women to have taken action or this many women to be active. It was just, um, yeah, it was a recipe for failure, I thought. All great campaigns, it seems to me, appear in the world almost fully realised, but obviously I know full well that that it isn't as easy as that. So how did you start working with partners, uh, agency in particular, to bring this to life? Talk to me about the process there. So I was really lucky because um, the Sport England board really... um, 
was patient because I, they gave, gave us a year effectively um, to get it right. I was acutely aware that if we didn't get it right, we was we were going to spoil it. We were going to queer the pitch for anyone else that came after us uh, because we had been given this break by government to spend the money. So we spent a lot of time getting getting it right, spending time on really understanding the insight, bringing the right partners together, particularly on the agency side. Um, we appointed... Um, Creative agency, Sporting had never done that before. A media uh, planning and buying agency, never done that before. Um, a PR agency, hadn't done that before. These were all things that we were we were not used to in the organisation doing. So there was a whole load of learnings for the organisation. You know, I'd been involved in, in that kind of thing elsewhere, but there was very little institutional uh, experience of that. And then making sure that we that everyone in the room really understood what we were trying to do and were willing to collaborate and got it really quickly. And we were able to to do that. We managed to get some brilliant people who worked with us really, really, really hard and collaborated to an extent that I've not seen before. I mean, I would come into all agency meetings and you wouldn't be able to tell who were the the PR people compared to the creative agency people compared to the evaluation team because everyone was coming with ideas and they weren't just ideas to benefit their agencies. They were genuinely ideas to benefit their campaign and that was remarkable, actually. Do you think that lack of experience of working on large-scale campaigns with multiple agencies almost helps in a way? Um, Well, I suppose there were lots of times when I'd say, well, I don't understand why we can't do it like this. Um, <laughs> and I suppose maybe my naivety helped me. I did employ someone in-house who did have loads and loads of experience of this, and she was absolutely phenomenal in making sure that we, you know, we stuck to, stuck to the budget, we stuck to the timetable, the agency partners were delivering on time, and you absolutely need that. But I think a lot of me saying, I think we can do this, we must be able to do this, um, lots of we put a man on the moon kind of um, uh, exhortations from me, I think, I don't know where it helped, but um, it helped deliver a campaign on time and on budget, I think. Talk to me about when you saw the first creative execution by FCB Inferno. So it'd been a bit of an iterative process. So I'd seen some um, images for outdoor. I'd seen some examples of tweets that we might use, some examples of things we'd post on social. But I suppose the moment it all came together for me was when I saw the rough cut of the 92nd in the sort of darkened viewing room in Soho. Um, and it was quite extraordinary, really. I was incredibly emotional, which is unusual for me. Um, but when I'd written the brief maybe 18 months before, I didn't know what I wanted the creative to look like, but I absolutely knew how I wanted to make me feel. And they managed to do that because it really was, you know, heart soaring stuff. And it's still actually when I see that 90 seconds make me makes the hairs on the back of my neck go. It also makes me um, weep a little bit. And actually, at the end of the first viewing, I had to, I was slightly embarrassed and ashamed that I was crying. So I had to pretend that there was something in my eye and I really needed to see it again in order to really understand that it was doing what I needed it to do to give me a moment to compose myself, really. But yeah, it, it delivered at, at that moment before we'd done, you know, all the post production stuff on it. That was exactly when I knew. If we can, if we've got the media buying right, and if with the with the um, with the right wins, this should be a campaign that landed. 
And you worked with a lot of different partners on this campaign. I mean, you've got a really strong creative execution, fantastic insight. How do you manage those various different partners to make sure that the message remains strong and consistent? And this was something that we were acutely aware of from the get-go, really, and had to start engaging with partners well before the launch of the campaign because one of the challenges for the campaign is Sport England was promoting activity for women but isn't in control of the experience that makes sense. So we had to depend on leisure centres and swimming pools and the sports themselves to develop programmes that were going to give um, our audience a This Girl Can experience when they turned up to their local football club or swimming pool or gym. And so I had to, we had to go out and literally be evangelists with this campaign without showing them the campaign itself because Initially, I couldn't because I didn't have anything. And towards the end, I didn't want to because I wanted there to be a reveal. So they had to, we had to build trust really quickly. We had to convince them that it was worth them spending some time and, and a little bit of money, although we were going to give them pretty much all the assets they needed um, to get them to understand this was a massive opportunity for them to promote their sports or activities to a, a range of people that hadn't ever come into their swimming pools or sports clubs or yoga centres. It was enthusiastically adopted by people. Uh, it became a very resonant campaign, particularly on social media. People ran with it and ran with it quite far. How did that feel? Yeah, and that was really important to us because um, we, £10 million was a lot of money for us, but it was, in you all know, media buying, but making lovely ads costs a lot of money. So we really needed this campaign to be underpinned and driven by social. So we really wanted it to be um, something where we built a community really quickly and that they that we were getting lots of shared. We weren't going to do a lot of paid, so we really needed to get our social community going. And we did a little bit of work beforehand, before we launched, to build a little community online. So we did some little teaser pieces. We worked with a, a couple of uh, media outlets to... to um, release, you know, that fifteen-second teasers, um, and on the day of the launch, I was terribly proud because we had two thousand Twitter followers, and I was like, "Oh my God, we've arrived!" And by the next morning, we had twenty thousand, and then it just built and built. And actually, over the course of the next sort of two years, we were building our um, social following every single month, even when we weren't on air. And I think it's worth remembering that. In that, in that first phase, the campaign was only above the line for um, nine to ten weeks. I mean, it really wasn't very much. And it really was driven by this extraordinary social following. And we, you know, I'm a control freak. Everyone that knows me knows that. And it was, it was hard for me to say, OK, we're just going to let this community take it over. But we had some rules ourselves about how we how we would intervene, what we would, how we were going to engage with people, when we were going to jump into conversations. Um, we developed a lexicon of language we would use, you know. So we would always talk about girls, we and women. We'd never talk about ladies because that's what you know. This the personality of the campaign was like. Um, we would always add value, we wouldn't criticise, we wouldn't judge, all of those things which we kind of built a personality for the campaign and made sure we used that tone of voice in, in all our interactions. So always sassy, always funny, always a bit self-deprecating um, and always incredibly supportive. And I think that was then adopted by 
our community, which, you know, it to this day continues to grow because it really chimed with what women want from it. They, We don't want to be patronised. We don't want people wagging a finger at us. We want to own things ourselves. And, and I think that that really resonated with our audience. Did search play a role in that? Absolutely. Particularly in that period, in those few weeks just before we launched the campaign, what we really needed to avoid is... Um, people seeing the ad on the the 12th of January and, you know, putting in this girl can into the search bar on Google and nothing coming up, which is why we deliberately done this work beforehand to make sure that there, that we were at the top of the list, that we were able, people were able to find us really quickly. And we had some, you know, very clever people working to understand the, how all of that works effectively, the kind of search terms people were putting in and really helping us to make sure that we were the number one and still now it's, it is, works really effectively and they, they're, they're still doing that kind of work to this day. You talked earlier about the impact the film at least had had on you, that very emotional response to it. Did you ever imagine that other people would have the same emotional response that it would have that depth of impact. I mean, I mentioned in my intro the return on marketing investment. Did you, even with the benefit of hindsight, ever think it was going to be that successful? Absolutely not. I'd love to say, oh, yes, I knew it was going to be from the get-go. But no, I mean, how can you? Uh, it's a bit like when you have a baby and you think it's beautiful, you think it's lovely, you've spent nine months getting it, you know, bringing it into this world and then you show it to people and you don't know whether people are going to see smile and say that's lovely but secretly think well, it's a bit ugly um and you know the 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 when we showed it on the the 12th of January in 2015 was the day we aired it um I had no idea how people were going to respond because up until then very few people had seen it and they're all people who are intimately involved in it so there was a kind of well of course they're going to love it um so I was quietly confident but there was no way on this earth that I actually thought it was going to deliver the kind of impacts that we um, that we got and that it was going to deliver them so quickly. I think we were really keen and committed to evaluating the campaign as as it um, unfolded to make sure that we were we were um, measuring its impact in as close to real time as we possibly could so we were getting um, results back from the m and &E team constantly so we could really understand what was going down well, what was going down badly. And when again, when we were talking to the evaluation team about it, I kind of said, well, what I expect is, you know, we'll raise, we'll raise awareness. In the first year, it will be all about raising awareness. Um, but pretty much that won't be it. And if we get a, a couple of women, you know, taking up being a bit more active, that's going to be great. But that's, that's going to be the icing on the cake. And actually, what we got was a massive awareness raising. We also then got this really interesting spike of people, feel, women reporting, feeling very negative about sport, which made me think, oh, God, I've done completely the wrong thing. Um, and some then very bright people said, well, of course you've, you have done, because what you've told women is it's OK to admit that you don't feel positive about sport. That's OK. But really interesting, within six months, we were already seeing that women were being were t putting on the trainers. And by the end of the first year, um, we the campaign had inspired 2.8 million women to do just that, to, be, to get more active, um, some doing it for the first time since they left school, um, which 
we had just not anticipated that kind of um, taking of action um, as quickly. I mean, I just couldn't have possibly dreamed for that. An immediate response, immediate reaction, immediate return. Do you think it's had a lasting legacy? Um, I think it has, actually. Um, I think that it has absolutely transformed the way Sport England uh, engages with um, consumers, with people. Um, Sport England is now running a campaign uh, around getting disabled people active, and I think that absolutely comes out of the This Girl Can experience. I think it's changed the way that sports um, and those involved in uh, physical activity market to women. Uh, not enough of them, but they are, it has provoked a change in their thinking. I think it's also had a broader impact in the way that lots of brands think about marketing to women. You know, there, there was this campaign, uh, I don't know, 18 months, two years after This Girl Can launched from uh, um, Special K, which absolutely felt like it had come out of, um, had been inspired by This Girl Can. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really, I'm really proud that other organisations see that that, that way of engaging with women without being patronising, without telling them what to do, um, with a little bit of a sense of humour about it, celebrating women in all their um, our many and varied shapes and sizes and abilities um, is being adopted by others. A worthwhile and lasting legacy. Not only did the campaign uh, have an impact on attitudes and behaviour in regards to women and exercise, from what you're saying, it had a positive impact in the way that other brands and other organisations market to women. Tanya Joseph, thank you very much for your time today. Pleasure. And now here's my Marketing Week colleague, Michael Barnett, who's going to explore the use of search around the campaign and how other brands might be able to replicate that. Thank you very much, Russell. I'm here again with Gemma Howley from Google. We're going to talk a little bit more about This Girl Can and what made it so successful. Uh, before we do, Gemma, just remind us what you do for Google. Sure. I am the search lead for UKI. So I look after our biggest agencies and clients and make sure they're really getting the most out of search by ensuring the channel tackles their key business objectives. So what was the big challenge that this campaign had? I think this campaign had the extremely difficult task of addressing the gender gap in sport. Whilst the temptation was definitely there to take an easy route and make assumptions and set out to push the message on why women should exercise, they instead turned to data to really understand why they weren't. Um, I think it was through the methodical research they were able to uncover that fear of judgment was the common trend and so they set about directly addressing this in creative, using real women, using inspirational stories. It really resonated with the target audience. I remember seeing this ad um, and this girl can was hashtagged all over my social media. So I think it was a really effective campaign. So why is direct response through search so powerful for behaviour change campaigns like this girl can? Within days of the broadcast launch of This Girl Can, the phrase made it into Google's hot trends and top 12 trending searches. So that really showcases how people turn to search for more information, to really find what matters to them. Search is ultimately an intent-driven channel. It's the best thing about it. And when a user has made the leap and is looking for something, looking to take that next step, looking for assistance to get to the next level, or in this case, looking for This Girl Can it gives the advertiser the opportunity to be there and to be useful. They can then maximise reach or run geo-targeted campaigns or utilise audiences. 
any way to really take that opportunity and impact change. The thing with This Girl Can is, is that it was a national campaign but executed locally. So what was great here is that Search was able to connect that national campaign to the local execution. People initially may have searched for This Girl Can, but then they may have gone on to search for their local sports centre, or for yoga classes, or for gyms near me. Search was there when it mattered the most. And so how do you maximise the magic of search in a campaign like this one? When a person searches for This Girl Can off the back of seeing arguably an emotive TV ad or a video ad, it's the marketer's responsibility to be there, to be useful and to offer a really good user experience, a fast and frictionless experience. They have engaged with that person, they have obviously impacted them enough to drive them to search, and it would be a very disappointing experience if the answers weren't there when they did then search. They really should be able to find what matters to them. I think collaboration is key. Search is not only an effective channel in silo, it can do its thing, but it can also benefit other channels. So we have seen use cases of day of week search trends impacting TV schedules, for example, because the data can help advertisers anticipate interest. I've also seen examples of different variations of copy being tested in search because the data comes in pretty much immediately and gives an indication of what kind of wording works. The results then are used uh, in other channels and they impact copy decisions such as in press or door drops. I think the relationship does work the other way as well. So insights from organisations, other channels, focus groups, that can all be tested quickly and easily within search. Insights can help marketers choose which keywords to bid on or what content to use for landing pages. This kind of collaboration helps to maximise the magic of search. And just lastly, what advice or innovative approaches would you suggest to marketers who are attempting similar behaviour change campaigns? If a marketer is looking to impact behavioural change, which is no mean feat, then they need to serve the right ad to the right user at the right time. Someone is coming to search to find what matters to them and that's where the marketer really needs to be, especially if it's emotive. We've discussed the British Army campaign before, where the team were looking to get more people signing up to the army by focusing on this kind of sense of belonging. They wanted to drive behavioural change and they used calls to action such as find where you belong and search army jobs to really connect users to useful information. Ultimately, the advice is to be there, be useful and offer a frictionless experience. Help people find what matters to them. Thank you very much, Gemma. You have been listening to Marketing That Matters, sponsored by Google Search and brought to you by Bauer Creative London with me, Russell Parsons, and producer Tim O'Donoghue. You can subscribe via Marketing Week's page on Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, where you can listen to previous episodes on Direct Lines The Fixer, the Army's This Is Belonging recruitment campaign and BritFix Grand Prix winning revitalisation of Robinsons. You can also check out our other podcasts, Marketing Week Meets and Marketing Week Explores. Until next time, goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by Google Search. Google Search helps millions of people across the UK every day. Whether they are finding ideas and inspiration, discovering brands or looking for the best deal. Search is where your customers find what matters to them, so it's where you can find what matters to your business. To find out more, search for Think With Google UK. That's thinkwithgoogle.co.uk.